Hello and welcome to Wimbley Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Dean, and joining me, as she has done every week, haven't managed to shake her off yet, is Andrea. Thanks, Dean, very much for your kind words. I am here and you ain't shaking me off yet. Wow. Oh, if only, if only. Well, this podcast, every week we choose an episode of Doctor Who. Not randomly, we, we go in order and we talk about that episode. And this time we're talking about series two, episode four, The Girl in the Fireplace. And every week we start with a summary of the episode, which lasts one sentence long. But we do one each. There's two sentences altogether. And Andrew will give us her sentence before I do mine, which I actually wrote this week. Whoa, who are you? I'm Dean. Thanks for that my sentence is this some droids in fancy dress barbecue their crew and stalk a flirtatious french fireplace lady who likes poppadoms or something like that that was actually very good the, the issue here is my one still isn't very good so if i read it to you and didn't tell you this is the first one i've written for series two you'd probably think that i made it up on the spot you shouldn't have admitted to writing it beforehand it made me laugh so uh, it made me laugh when I wrote it. The doctor flirts with a French girl and then a French horse. I'm just here for Arthur the horse, to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, here is your more general information about the episode, and that is it was directed by Euros Lynn, who directs eleven episodes altogether. That's nearly a whole series this guy has. Whoa. It's written by Stephen Moffat, who has written a lot more than one series, bloody hell. And it was broadcast on the 6th of May, 2006. The next day, on the 7th of May, 2006, it was the 52nd British Academy Television Awards and Doctor Who won Best Drama. Well done, Doctor Who. Very well deserved. Yeah, very well deserved. And it had 8.31 million viewers, which is the fifth highest of the series. Nice little fun fact there. They almost have as many listeners as us. Almost being the key word there. Now, time for the fun, fun, fun facts that everyone has been waiting all week to hear. My first fun fact for you is that in the original running order, this episode would have opened the series, putting the Christmas invasion aside. Do you think that would have been a better or perhaps more experimental opening? I mean, I think it's a better episode than New Earth, but I don't know if it would have fit the number one slot. I agree. I think it's such a standout episode, much like, say, Dalek or Father's Day, that putting it first wouldn't be entirely representative of the entire series. My second fun fact is that this episode's concept though written by Stephen Moffat, was thought up by Russell T Davis, who had been inspired by research he conducted for his 2005 series Casanova, which obviously also stars David Tennant. In the original script, the telepathic link, or mind meld if you want to get all Star Trek, between the Doctor and Renette was actually what provoked the clockwork droid's interest in Renette. In this version, Rose offers Renette a gem to erase all signs of contact with the Doctor from her mind, but she refuses it. What do you think of that alternativeness? Um, it's a little more complicated, I think. Almost unnecessarily so, but I do like the idea of Renette refusing to save herself effectively because she wants to remember the Doctor. Now for my personal favourite fact of this week, 
allegedly Arthur the horse is the same horse who appears in the day of the doctor that made my week maybe my entire year I know we're not that far into it but what a fun fact I love Arthur and I'm so happy that the doctor kept him what do you think Dean nine funds out of ten only nine for Arthur the horse wow you cruel man but anyway finally the last fact of today the Girl in the Fireplace won the 2007 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form, as did The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, obviously also written by Stephen Moffat. But did it contain the golden moment of 2006? I haven't read it, so I would assume no. So one extra point to The Doctor Dances. Every week, Dean and I quiz each other on the episodes that we are talking about. And this week, it's my turn to ask Dean some fun, 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 fun questions about the girl in the fireplace. See, that was so easy to explain. Okay, take it away. Question one. Okay. Which of the following were considered as titles for this episode? Three are made up. Three are real. In order to get a point, you must correctly give all three real titles. That's just cruel. It is. I need to be mean to you after so much bullying f- from you or unto me. Okay. A. The Doctor in the Fireplace. B. Renette and the Lonely Angel. C. The Monsters and the Doctor. D. Every Tick of My Heart. E. The Broken Clock on the Mantle. Or F, first F ever to be in a wibbly wobbly. Just get on with it. Thank you. Loose connection. So which ones are real? That's a tricky one. I'm going to get rid of Doctor and the Monsters because that's just a bit of a random one. See, loose connections, a bit vague, but then I think every tick of my heart and Renette and the Lonely Angel are a bit of a weird one. So it's either every tick of my heart or loose connections but loose connections well you need three of them to be correct remember okay i'll go with loose connections and the two i said that i didn't want you to read out so your answer is that renette and the lonely angel every tick of my heart and the broken clock on the mantle are the right three titles am i right correct (laughs) you have fallen just short of claiming that point, I'm afraid. It was Renette and the Lonely Angel. Every Tick of My Heart was also one, but it was not The Broken Clock on the Mantle. The final correct considered title was Loose Connection. Mm, interesting. Yes, and a bonus point, if you can guess what the one other alternative title was. It's pretty basic. Oh, can I get this? Come on, Dean. Come on, Dean. Let me think. Uh, I'm trying to think of other alternative titles and just because I was listening to it earlier on today the only one I can remember is Tooth and Claw and that was Queen Victoria so I'm going to go with Madame de Pompadour Oh, I've redeemed that You've redeemed that? You like that, don't you? I can tell Question 2 On the theme of titles On Twitter last year, Russell T Davis shared with fans a photo of the original running order for series two this featured the working titles of some episodes can you tell me which episodes the following working titles refer to 
A, Music of Doom. Music of Doom, I will go with, let's say, The Idiot's Lantern. Oh, interesting. You would be correct. Good, good. Next. B, I Love the Doctor. Love and Monsters. Of course, it had to be that one. Also correct. C, Parallel World Part 1. Rise of the Cybermen. I thought that one was pretty easy. I'm working with limited material here. D, the 1920s. I've already said the idiot Santon, but can it be that again? Because I don't know what else it could be. Even though it wasn't 19... Was that 1920s? 1950s. 1920s. Let's go with Fear Her. I like your thinking, but I'm afraid I was mean. It's a trick question. The 1920s was a working title for a Stephen Fry episode, which never happened. So do I get no points for that round? I'm not going to be that mean, but you've still got one more to answer. E, old friends. Oh, school reunion. Of course, and because there was a trick question in there, I'm going to be reasonable and give you a point for that one. So very well done. Question three. The clockwork droids believe Renette's brain will be compatible when she turns 37, the same age as their spaceship. What was the 37th Doctor Who story? A. The Tomb of the Cybermen. B. The Abominable Snowmen. C. The Ice Warriors. D. The Enemy of the World. Or E. The Web of Fear. Uh, The second one you said. It was A, the Tomb of the Cybermen, and the Abominable Snowmen was the 38th Doctor Who story. Question four. Sophia Miles plays Madame de Pompadour. Which other historical figure has she played? A, Eleanor of Aquitaine. B, Anne Boleyn. C, Lady Jane Grey. Or D, Jackie Kennedy Onassis. I will go with the second one again, please. Anne Boleyn? Mm Mm-hmm. You would be incorrect. I'm afraid it was Lady Jane Grey, the nine-day queen, and she played her for TV's The Prince and the Pauper in 1996. Wow. How annoying. How annoying indeed, Sophia Miles. Joking. Don't blame you. Nice TV opportunity for you. Now it's time for the last question. At the time of recording, the girl in the fireplace scores 9.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Can you tell me which two episodes of the following rate higher than 9.3, which two rate as 9.3, and which two rate lower than 9.3? There are three points available, e.g. you get one point for getting both lower ones correct. Okay. A. The Empty Child B. Doomsday C. Forest of the Dead D. Midnight, E, Vincent and the Doctor, and F, Heaven Sent. So I'll go Midnight and the Empty Child lower. Interesting. Forest of the Dead higher, Heaven Sent higher, and then the other two the same. Wow, you have fully redeemed yourself all three points you have got. Midnight scores 9.1, the Empty scores 9.2 Doomsday and Vincent and the Doctor score 9.3 and 
Forest of the Dead scores 9.5, whilst Heaven Sent Point scores 9.6. Very well done. I hope you enjoyed this trivia, though it may have been a bit more taxing than normal. Now, let's have a look at the scores. Well, I've done pretty damn good. Every week, Dean, we humour him basically because he wants to give us a little tour through the episode we are exploring. And of course, he will be talking about Renette and the Lonely Angel. Sorry, loose connection. Sorry, Madame de Pompadour. Anyway, go ahead. Well, bloody hell, the Doctor and Mickey and Rose are doing a bit of a trip round the galaxy together and all where do they land in an abandoned spaceship and nobody's there? Where is everyone? They're not there. They're, they're not. And to stop asking because they're not, I don't. Anyway, and they look around the spaceship and they're like, wow, look at this 18th century fireplace. So pretty, pretty. Oh no, it's taken me to said time period where there's a little girl and I talk to a little girl and me and little girl have conversation and big scary droid here to destroy little girl but i save i save go back to the spaceship wow i'm in the future again what happened i don't bloody know i'm just strolling around this spaceship just like the rest of you oh no i visited her again but she old now what's going on she's not that old she's like like 17 18 i don't remember don't don't ask me about specifics but that's what they're bloody doing in this little time period and then they're like wow what's going on and doc rose and mickey go for a stroll and they find the bits of the ship are actually human like hearts and eyes and stuff and they get kidnapped and the doctor goes to visit uh madame pompadom again and she's all like hey i'm here and i'm madame pompadom and i want to give you a big old kiss kiss and then they get drunk together the doctor stumbles out and he's like whoa i'm gonna save you and i'm all drunk and bananas are good and you're from thickany you thick and your dad's thick and then the doctor pours wine on one of them and he's like and they all teleport away because they found the right time period because they're waiting until renette madame pompadom is 37 so they can steal her brain and put it in the ship and they go and they stop her with a big horse called Arthur, even though Arthur isn't a very French name and isn't a horse. I'm not a horse either. And then they save her and, and they leave the ship and they're like, wow, what a mystery. We'll never find that one out. Let's leave. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wow, that was very concise. You, but you didn't miss out anything. I'm sure we'll pick up on any of the small or massive details Dean has left out in his plot summary. Anyway, thank you very much, Dean, for that. Every week, me and sometimes Andrea, if I let her, go through our standout moments of the episode from chronological to least chronological order. I've said that before, but I think it's a pretty funny joke, so I'm going to stick with it. Anyway, what's your most chronological standout moment, Andrea? It would have to be the pre-credits action that we get in this episode because it's so different to the other openings that we've had so far in Revival Who. We don't know who Renette is talking about. We don't know who she is at this point. And so when she's calling into the fireplace and all of the palace is screaming because of the clockwork droid invasion, 
you don't understand any of it and so many questions are asked it's so brilliantly enigmatic and I think it's quite experimental as well because obviously we're introduced to this non-linear narrative partly and so I, I really love it it's a really good opening and the shots of the clockwork droids walking so regimentedly and stiffly whilst everybody else is flailing about screaming and, and just their design and everything and, and her peril, her distress, shouting into the flames. It's all really well shot and I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was also my first stand-up moment. I thought it was some very good in media res. I didn't think it was that enigmatic because I've seen the episode before. Oh, have you? That, that, that's, that's nice. Yeah, so I kind of knew what was happening. See, I've never seen it, so... Have you seen it now? No, it's going to make my job a bit harder today. Well, if if you think that, that was difficult. My next stand-up moment is the first scene in lovely old France. Well, technically it's the second scene, but if we're talking about chronological orders in time, then it's the first. Anyway, so it's quite a nice sweet scene, I think, to begin with, with um, Doctor and Renette, and then suddenly it goes, why well, is there two clocks ticking, which is a better execution of the reveal in the Doctor dances, which I have had problems with because Rose is standing there all like, oh, I wonder what's going on. But this is a good version of that and the clockwork jewelry works quite well in that scene. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's so typical of Doctor Who, that moment where you hear the ticking, you really zone in on it because you really notice it before then, which is masterful in itself and then as you realize when the doctor's saying this clock is broken but what's that ticking then and you're like oh damn that moment of realization for the spectator is really really enjoyable and as you said the clockwork droid works so well in this scene i love how it immediately after going to attack the doctor under the bed it's immediately stood up like it makes no sound and it's already there and it's so still and it makes it so creepy. And we're immediately introduced to this massive question that umbrellas the entire episode. Why her? Why Madame de Pompadour, Renette, whatever you want to call her. I call it her Miss Poppadom. It's Poppadom. It's pronounced Poppadom. Yeah, Miss Poppadom, as we like to call her here at Wibbly Wobbly. But yeah, really nice first scene with the Doctor and Renette and one of the only scenes that we see with David Tennant and children that may sound a bit of a weird thing to point out but Matt Smith is often paired up with children because he has such a childish dynamic whereas aside from Fear Her and actually Idiot's Lantern so quite a lot in series two but other than these cases you don't really see that dynamic with that Doctor as much. Yeah it's an interesting point. Thank you. I, I just think it's quite interesting when you think about that Stephen Moffat has done the two reveals, the same reveal in two episodes in a row that he's written. It's quite lazy, if you ask me. It's definitely a pattern. That's what I'd say to be maybe less rude. Yeah, no, I have issues with Stephen Moffat and I'm not going to hide them. Me and him have had fallings out in the past. Oh, wow. Well, we won't get into that, but I think we can both agree that this reveal... He knows what he did. Oh my goodness, so many questions. But I think we can both agree that this reveal is executed way more effectively 
than those in the Doctor Dances, though I didn't dislike the ones in the Doctor Dances. Well, I did. And also, actually, sorry to get sidetracked by Stephen Moffat here, but he did the same reveal twice in the Doctor Dances because he did it with the tape and then he did it with the typewriter and then he does it now with the clock. So that's three times in two episodes in a row. He needs a new gimmick, this loser. You know what you did. It's just one of his favourite things to incorporate in a script quite clearly. And I think the clock is the best of the props used, as you said, with the typewriter and the, the tape. I think the clock works the best. And the clock becomes a motif for this entire episode, which is so interesting when it's all about a woman's life being spread out across a spaceship, which is such a lovely idea. But anyway, what's your next standout moment? My next stand-up moment is less of a stand-up, more of a complaint. And I just think Rose and Mickey are a bit too touchy-feely in this episode, putting arms around each other and stuff like that. Like, have they not seen the episode Boomtown? Did they skip over it or something? I quite like the dynamic between Rose and Mickey in this episode. I actually was sat there thinking, and you'll be completely against this, but I wish he'd actually stayed with the Doctor a bit longer in that capacity, because right after this episode where we see these two kind of as a funny comedy duo, although that's an extreme way to put it. You have this really nice dynamic and then it's immediately cut off in the next story where Mickey leaves and stays in the parallel world. So I appreciate the element of this story that allows us to see time travel and the Doctor and Rose's world through Mickey's eyes afresh. An interesting point, but we will talk about that later. What is your next adult moment? I, well, I wrote down it was Arthur and just David and the horse, but that's not a big moment to talk about. Just want to put it out there. I love the horse, the best character in this episode, hands down. It doesn't have hands, it has hooves. Hooves down then. But my next proper standout moment is when... They're gazing through the mirror time window thing at Renette and it's the night of the ball when she's going to dance with the king for the first time and then we notice that there's a figure stood in the corner with their back to Renette. She's like, how long have you been here? And then it turns around and it's a clockwork droid and it's all scary and the doctor gets a fire extinguisher and Mickey calls it an ice gun, which I think is adorable. And then we get this whole scene where they're asking the droid questions and we learn a bit more about the story and how she's still not yet complete and they'll only answer questions from her and so somehow there's a connection between Madame de Pompadour and this spaceship in the 51st century and it's really interesting but then my favourite bit after that we get the mind reading moment with Renette and the Doctor. What do you make of that moment? Yes it is quite a sweet little moment I did enjoy it quite like the romantic motifs in this episode it works much better than um all the previous stuff we've had in the series and a bit of doctor who we've watched so far i would say that's very interesting i would say as a criticism that i wish the romantic relations had started from the mind reading onwards i find that that scene where she kisses him is pretty forced because 
he's so uncharacteristically awkward as soon as he seems a grown woman. And it's a bit weirdly euphemistic about goodness how you've grown and things like that and it doesn't sit with me right and then she just kisses him and he's all a bit stunned that's like the doctor's only reaction when someone kisses him though it's kind of just to go floppy i don't care which doctor is that happens every time that is true but i think it would have been a better love story and this is my issue how because it's a one-parter admittedly there isn't that gradual intensifying of relations between them but I think it would have been a better love story if he falls in love with her that might even be the wrong use of terms it depends if you think this even is a love story but they fall in love with each other I'm going to say it for the sake of it after she's been inside his mind and understands how vulnerable he is and he suddenly realizes that she understands him better than any individual potentially ever has I think that would have been a neater point for then the relationship to grow from. Wow, you want a more gradual love story, but you don't have a problem with Rose and the Doctor. Anyway, after that controversial statement, I'm moving swiftly on to my next standout moment, which is the drunk scene. Uh, I do really enjoy um, Tennant in this scene. I enjoy a lot of what's going on around the thing and I and it has a good little finale at the end and he says bananas are good and that references Christopher Eccleston which is always a plus in my book exactly and I love the bit when Rose is really trying to big up the doctor and scare the clockwork droids off and then he stumbles in all drunk tying round his head and sunglasses on and all that and she just says Oh, look what the cat dragged in, the oncoming storm. I love that line. It's just highly amusing. I think it might have been a little bit better if we saw the clockwork droids getting increasingly closer to killing Rose and Mickey rather than always being at their throats because there isn't as much tension as I think there should maybe be with the Doctor just joking around, calling the robots thick, aggravating them, whilst... Rose and Mickey are potentially about to have their throats slit. If only they bloody slit Mickey's throat, am I right? You are very wrong. What is your next standout moment? My next standout moment after their little escapades with alcohol is when Rose goes and greets Renette and they have their little chat. I think it's quite a sweet moment with like it's kind of similar to back to Stephen Moffat's last episode, You Know What You Did, when um, Rose speaks to Nancy and Nancy is a bit like, well, I'm not as stupid as you think I am. And I think this scene is very similar with uh, Renette in that role. That's an interesting interpretation. I would contest that maybe it's slightly different to that scene because there's more of a similarity and a tenderness in the scene with Nancy. I think what I quite like here is that we see Rose effectively put in her place and she's called child and things like that by Miss Poppadom. And so we also see how Rose is reacting to the Doctor potentially falling in love with someone else. And I think that, if anything, I like Rose in this episode more than in episodes where she's all over the Doctor because we see her more as a companion without 
being joined to this hip and she's doing what she has to to look after this woman no matter how her personal feelings may want her to dislike her and I, I like how there's potentially a bit of friction there because they both love the same man and this woman because of her age because of her status kind of looks down on Rose a bit I also love the more intimate moments in that scene where they both share those feelings of you can't have the doctor without the monsters and you may put up with a world of demons for the sake of an angel I really love that writing yeah it's a pretty good moment my next standout moment is another good Renette scene when she faces off against all the clockwork droids and stands up for herself and kind of presents herself as being this strong character that we've seen throughout the episode where she basically tells them all off for trying to kill her and shows that she's not afraid i really like that moment too and i also like what's happening alongside that with the doctor desperately panicking really at the fact that he can't get there and save the day in the way that he wants to the fact that the clockwork droids have sealed that time window off knowing that he was coming and that the only way to, for him to save miss poppadom is to crash through the window and sever off connection to the spaceship he in saving her condemns himself and i think that's a really nice romantic touch that we have in this episode and i love how panicked he is because you haven't seen david Tennant's doctor that worked up and that shot where he just pushes rose aside or she has to dodge out of the way of him is kind of funny but you see how this is an episode where the doctor is not with those companions yeah, I also think the scene works so well because it's the contrast of Renette against all the other Frenchmen in the scene. They were like, oh, I'm so scared. And she's like, I know what's going on. And I quite like the moment of her going like, oh, yeah, this this is normal. I know what's up and everyone's freaking out. Works quite well. What would your next standout be? I think my next standout moment would have to be the conversation about the slow path once the Doctor has condemned himself in going to Miss Poppadom's aid. It's the most realistic portrayal, I think, of love that we get in this episode. Everything else is quite heightened with the mind reading and the the snog right at the beginning. You're right, mind reading is quite heightened. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's as heightened as you can get, I can imagine. But here you have them taking the mick out of their names. Oh, like the Doctor. Oh, like Madame de Pompadour. And they almost seem like they're in a relationship these two characters and obviously you know that the doctor is such a solitary figure that that can never be the case and i think that she knows that and i think that's what's so heartbreaking because he's resigned himself to his fate and that they're clinking glasses and talking about the stars and it is very romantic and then you see the real selfless side of renette in leading him to her bedroom and showing him the original fireplace and basically giving him back his life when she wants to keep him. Yeah, yeah. Just to draw another connection back to Dr. Dances, this is a thought I have had just now, and it's a complaint that you made about the episode is when they talk about dancing too much. I feel like while talking about the long path, it kind of has the same effect. That After a while, it just feels like they're talking in some complicated code instead of, metaphors if that makes any sense it does i think that my issue is more it's similar to my issue with the doctor dances in that 
the dancing euphemism is used so often. But I have less of an issue with the slow path and more of an issue with the euphemistic moments, like when he's reading Burnett's mind and he's like, oh, you might want to close that door, that door. Goodness, how you've grown. The sort of the sexual innuendos that really I don't think have a place in Doctor Who. You know, it is meant for you as well. And I think that in a way it takes away from a bit of the sincerity of their love story. So I would agree with that parallel to the Doctor dances, but I don't mind the use of the slow path specifically. That is all my stand-up moments. Do you have any more? Well, it sort of is basically attached to what we were just saying. And I think that where we get really heartbroken in this episode, if indeed you have a heart, Dean, it's when the Doctor tells Renette to pack a bag and she looks so excited that she's going to go and see the stars and then he comes back and time has passed. Why doesn't he think that that's going to happen? It's happened every other time. Does the Doctor not learn? A significant amount of time has passed and she is dead, having died at the age of 43. And although the moment when he gets the letter and stuff doesn't hit me hard, it's more the fact that she would have been waiting for him, waiting to see the stars. I think that's where the episode crushes you. Yeah, if they had explored that idea more, it would have been more effective if they explored this idea of the time gap there instead of just saying, oh, she's dead now, here's the letter. I think... Maybe like, I'm not sure, maybe she goes in and she's like moments away from death and then she dies while talking to the doctor and the doctor's. Yeah, I'm torn on that because I think that would have been quite nice and if anything, more painful. But at the same time, I like the effectiveness of her absence. The fact that the silence in the house, the fact that the king's there on his own speaks enough does enough to emphasize the doctor's loss and kind of makes their love story even more tragic because it's cut off so severely rather than having any sort of closure that your suggestion might add but i do like that alternative that you have provided there and i would also say that my final standout moment is when we see the fireplace flames burn out and it's just a dark hollow cove in this spaceship that no longer has a crew, a purpose, anything. And the story is over and the doctor watches it from the monitor and you see the numbing heartache in his eyes and he's, he's alone. And I think this sort of sets David Tennant's doctor up to be that solitary figure that we see in the specials in Voyage of the Damned in episodes where he's without a companion. It sort of shows us that he's capable of doing that one man show thing despite obviously having Rose and Mickey in the background of this episode and just I love how they reveal why the clockwork droids were interested in Renette right at the end it's literally the final shot you go ah the ship was named Madame de Pompadour so they thought they needed the brain of Madame de Pompadour and it's so neat and it's you think it's going to be left open. Oh, we'll never know why. And then that final scene, the rolling over of the spaceship in orbit or in space or whatever, astronomy words, it reveals the truth. Yeah, I think that might be one of the best bits of the episode, just getting that silent reveal. And it's not like the Doctor going in most episodes, there's a bit when he goes, aha, it all makes sense now, while pacing around a room and 
waving his hands about. I think this is a lot more effective, just the silent reveal at the end and just leaving us on that note. Every week we go through the characters and not in a chronological order, we go in a specific order that has been tailor-made to really suit this episode the best. And that's why the first character we talk about every week is the same character and his name is Doctor Who. It is indeed. What did you think of him in this episode? I think I would say this is maybe his best episode yet for Tennant. I think he has some really strong moments and I think in this episode most of all he's really differentiated the most from Eccleston. I think if you put Eccleston in all those other episodes, it wouldn't be vastly different from the episode we end up getting. No insult to either of them as actors, I just mean as their characters. But if you put Eccleston in this episode, it would have been a very different episode, I think. Yeah, this episode would be very different if it was Eccleston. He'd probably just try and push her away if she tried to advance on him and snog him. And he'd go, no, much like he turns Jackie down in Rose. I've kind of already expressed what I think this episode reveals about David Tennant's Doctor, the solitary figure, the arrogance and potential selfishness that we get. Also, when he's so happy and doesn't try to conceal his happiness at being able to leave Renette and be free from that slow path with her. You see him basically tear Rose's emotions up and... Miss Poppadom's emotions up in one episode. And yet we also sympathise with him so much because he goes through this great loss all within the space of 45 minutes. And we get that drunk scene with him when he's so funny. We, we've never seen David Tennant quite as eccentrically out of it as that. And obviously until this point, we haven't seen him with more than just Rose in the TARDIS, effectively. Yeah, I don't think there's enough there to really make much of a comment about his relationship with the other two. But we, we will talk to that later. The second character that we talk about every time, same character every week, is Mr Finch. But because he's not included in this episode, we'll go on to the next one, who is Rose. What are your thoughts on Rose in this episode? I was really looking forward to talking about Mr Finch, to be honest. But Rose, I like Rose in this episode because... I feel like they could have really written her character, played her character differently in this episode with her being as catty and envious of Miss Poppadom as she is of Sarah Jane in School Reunion. But they don't. They go for the sort of silent aspect, the fact that she is probably internally mourning her closeness with the Doctor that, for this episode at least, sort of fades away whilst he's so caught up with everything happening in France so to speak and I like seeing her with Mickey I know that it does overlook the issues that they had in Boomtown but it's almost like they've got to the point where they're friends and they can enjoy the journey together and I like how she's sort of teaching him the ropes when Mickey's like he told us not to wander off and she's like yeah he did and then he gets um, the idea that they should run off. I like little details like that. And yeah, I think it's just really well-written in this episode. They could have made it a lot worse. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, my problem last week was that it was too, they were both too catty, but I think in this episode it might be a little too understated. I would have liked maybe one little bit 
at the end with the Rose and Doctor or something like that, instead of just it kind of being an undertone throughout that you wouldn't really notice unless you're looking for it. That's a fair comment, although I kind of like that we see her more sensitive and selfless side. I think the main nasty characteristic of Rose is her selfishness, but here she puts all of that aside to to help save the day with that conversation with Miss Poppadon, but also, you know, she asks the doctor at the end, are you all right? And that heartbreaking moment where he says, I'm always all right, and we know that's not true, but she seems so concerned about him that she kind of puts her emotions aside. And I, I like that side of this character. Yeah, I'm not saying I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see like what we got last week with them insulting each other. I'm happy with how she acts towards um Madame de Pompadour, but I would have rather instead of her being aggressive, she's just more like the jealousy is more clear instead of being aggressive. Fair enough. What do you make of Mickey? This is what I want to know. Okay, so I I do have a problem with this episode, and this might be quite a severe one. This is the only episode really where he's a proper companion, because in the next one he trots off. But he really does nothing in this episode, and I don't think anything would change in this episode without him. He's he's barely there for a lot of it and it's just he doesn't add anything interesting to the episode I don't have an issue with his characterization at all in this episode but I think that's just because he has so little to do throughout yeah I think I would have liked to see him do more since he's there as part of the TARDIS crew but I would argue that for me I know there's always going to be a slight disagreement when it comes to Mickey between you and me but for me he does add little sprinkles of comedy here and there with his panic when they're about to be killed by the clockwork droids with his comments about Cleopatra and how the doctor's got a history of having attachments to women shall we say I'm so prude and then also just how he's there at the end to ask how's the doctor going to get back whilst Rose is just soaking it in in shock I think he does well at highlighting characteristic points of Rose in this episode. Yeah, I, I suppose I just think he still doesn't really get anything to do. And my theory for that is, as we have found out earlier on in this episode, uh, this is supposed to be the first episode of the series. So I'm assuming he wasn't supposed to be with them in the original script, perhaps. He was a late addition when the episode was moved further down the line. That is clever thinking. I like it. Now, on to Miss Poppadom. It's actually Madame de Pompadour. I thought earlier you, you told me it was Poppadom. I've been saying Poppadom throughout the entire no, episode. Poppadom is Indian or Asian. I don't actually know the origins of a Poppadom, but Madame de Pompadour is Irish. Makes sense. What do you think of Renette? Let's go with Renette. Uh, I really like her. I think and a bit, not an issue with her. I think going back to Stephen Moffat, and my issues with him, not the personal ones, the more the more general ones, where <laughs> he, he has a habit of, I like to think of him sometimes as the English Joss Whedon. I don't know if you know much about Joss Whedon, but that's probably definitely an insult now I think about it, because some stuff has come out about him in the last few years. Anyway, forgetting that, I just think they both have a habit of writing um, sassy, 
sexy in quotation marks women as their leads and stuff like um and i think this is the start of having quite a few more of them like i'm not saying i have a problem with them individually but just all in a line they're a bit repetitive yeah don't be scared to make that comment i would agree this is something i talk about a lot when analyzing films I think that there's a general issue with the over-sexualizing of female characters. And I do think that you do get this with Madame de Pompadour. There's not a criticism of Sophia Miles. I think she does a brilliant job. She's a very good actress. And I do care about her character in the end. But at the beginning, I'm not so sure because she's, the adult version at least, is introduced to us as being predominantly a love interest before a character. and that annoys me because we would ultimately, the story would benefit from us ultimately caring about her more for her being an interesting character. And she becomes an interesting character as the episode moves on. And you do care about her because you see her turmoil over her feelings for the doctor and the fact that her life has been completely changed by these droids. And it's really interesting seeing her connection between the spaceship and all of that is great. But we're first introduced to her as being very flirtatious and wanting to go a step further with the doctor by just throwing herself onto him so many questions so little time it's just so typical it's a female love interest character and I just want to see if she's such an accomplished woman why do we only see her attachment for one man I know it's central to the story but I think that potentially you're right Stephen Moffat I'm thinking of the presentation of Amy and what I've seen on Instagram is being called the mini skirt era of Doctor Who. It's not completely negative. I think that we love Amy, we love Clara, all of that. Generally, we do anyway. But there's always a sort of sexual, sassy, seductive element to his female characters. Nancy aside, actually, but I think you could argue that's because she's meant to be maternal. And therefore, we have the issue of or complex where female characters in film and television are only ever maternal or only ever a seductress and so I think that my issues with modern de Pompadour come from the over-sexualizing of her at the beginning which puts her forward as a seductive character rather than one that we care about which we ultimately do but I think it takes us a bit longer to get there or at least it takes me a little longer because she just throws herself on the doctor and we don't really get to know her yeah, I think um, I think if it was a movie and I watched that movie, I would definitely go, wow, that's a real Joss Whedon character, just because that's what he's well known for. And it's kind of definitely out of fashion now. But I think 2010s, a few years after this episode was made, was the real hot spot for characters like this. And I think a lot, at least I like to think we've moved past that now. Yeah, she, she does have strong points. And as you said, she holds her own against the clockwork droids. And it's acted really well that we do care about her. But the introduction for me, the the the, the flirtatious stuff, tone it down, Moffat. Yeah, it's it's more like just the sassy stuff as well. Just all his characters have to be sassy as well.
every week professional screenwriter andrea in my personal opinion a hundred times better than stephen moffat you know what you did steve if you want to apologize you better come to me and say it to my face like a man anyway andrea what are your improvements of this episode my goodness where do i start that makes it sound like i have a lot i haven't actually i've said most of them so i'll go through them quickly the doctor's awkwardness when he meets adult renette is exaggerated and uncharacteristic of a character that we've seen confidently waltz through life previously i think that would be more typical of matt smith's doctor that awkwardness but it also kind of force feeds us this idea that there's a bit of sexual tension between the pair that as soon as he sees an adult woman he's like oh my god i can't speak anymore and it's just kind of like ah the romance between the pair comes out of nowhere. It would have been a more charming love story if they had fallen in love after she reads the Doctor's mind. I've already said that. It would be better if the Doctor made a noise to make Renette turn around while she and her friend are walking arm in arm through the palace gardens. I've always thought it's a bit weird that she just is so paranoid that she's being watched. Maybe it's that she can sense him, but I think it would have been better if he just clumsily, like, I don't know, knocked over a stone statue. I have already said this, but I think there should be more tension in the drunk doctor scene, mostly just because then you'd be willing him on to snap out of that drunken mood and save the day, much like Rose and Mickey are. And so we're not really aligned with them as much as we maybe should be in this scene. And finally, the dissolves of Rose crying and staring at the broken time window after the doctor has left them, potentially at this point for good. They're completely unnecessary. I kind of laughed at it. It over-dramatised the situation. Billy Piper crying is enough to emphasise the the sadness that she feels. And maybe you could argue that it's showing that time is passing, but it's kind of some experimental, well, experimental for Doctor Who, at least, camera work that wasn't necessary. Yeah, an improvement I would have of my own, which is kind of along similar lines to this, is I think um, the fact that Mickey and Rose were stranded for five and a half hours, which is a quite a long period of time, is I think quite understated. Like, I really don't think Rose and um, Mickey would just be sitting around for five and a half hours waiting for something to happen. I think they would have tried to do something in the TARDIS or broken something or tried to do something different. I just don't think it felt like they were really stuck there for five and a half hours because when the Doctor returns, they were just chilling in exactly the same place, not doing anything. Exactly. We see a quite similar situation later in Doomsday when Rose and the Doctor are separated in a quite similar wall-based way, staring at a wall. And she would try anything at that point to get back to him. And she thinks that she may never see the Doctor again in this episode as well but they don't try and it's kind of what we were saying about the Christmas invasion how Rose doesn't try to save the day after all her efforts to save the universe to save the Doctor in the parting of the ways she has that capability as a companion and it is potentially a bit inconsistent to have her waiting around instead what were they going to do for the rest of their lives exactly they just chilling out Every week, Dean and Andrea and our listeners at home, although we won't 
do anything about it give this episode a rating on a very simple scale i will explain it in a couple of words it's a scale of one to 13 with one being the worst and 13 being the best because there are 13 doctors we're not saying the first doctor's the best or the 13th doctor's the worst or the other way around because that's what i meant to say you can also give one decimal place as a rating and that's an 8.5 aka a war doctor aka a john Hurt, aka a f- 8.5 what have you rated this episode andrea I've rated this a 9 out of 13, basically because I gave the Doctor Dances an 8.5 and I preferred this episode to it, and I gave Dalek a 10, and I prefer Dalek to the girl in the fireplace. So that's how I came to this conclusion. It's quite interesting. I think you'll be surprised with my rating. It's my highest for an episode yet, and that's a 12. I think some of the stuff you have issues with, like the romance stuff i don't have a big issue with just the romance especially i don't have as much of a problem with it because i think there's good moments of actual romance and in the majority of the scenes like the the sexual tension of is like not there at all i think there's just a couple scenes where it's a bit iffy yeah and i think it's those iffy scenes that maybe stand out more to me and lower my rating but i've also got to leave room for the ones that i absolutely love and whilst i really appreciate this episode and do really enjoy watching it i mean a story about a woman's life spread across a spaceship how cool and timey is that but there are others that i prefer it's never been one of my favorite favorite favorites it's quite interesting that this episode is the inverse score of last week where i gave it a nine and you gave it a 12 and this week i gave it a 12 you gave it a nine. I'm surprised you gave it a 12 because you spent the entire time, well, part of the time, flagging it off. Well, that's because of my issues with Stephen Moffat. Nothing to do with his work as a writer. It's just how he has treated me and my friends personally in the past. You know what you did, Steve. What did he do? We're all asking this. What did he do? <laughs> we'll have to wait until he signs off as a showrunner in while we're still doing this podcast anyway i'd like to thank everyone for listening and hopefully you can join us next week when we're starting a cyberman two-parter oh no i hope they don't delete me i hope they do follow us at instagram at chatty pod email us at chatty pod at gmail.com give us your thoughts on what we've said give us suggestions to what to talk about in the future and follow us at anchor fm at chatty and thank you for listening Yeah, thank you. Goodbye. Bye.